Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me here on another episode of Simply Put. This is Britt and I'm so excited that you decided to hang out with us today. If it's your first time, take a deep breath. Nothing weird's gonna happen, nothing crazy. We're just gonna look at some scripture and make it as simple as possible. That's really the heart of this podcast. And if you're joining us back, I just wanna say welcome. I'm really glad that you are here again. So today we're gonna be looking at Acts chapter three and this story where Peter heals this crippled man. And I love this story for so many reasons and I just believe God has a specific word for you. So super expectant for today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. Let's dive in. Welcome to Simply Put, a podcast that has been brought to life with you in mind. Whether you consider yourself an all-in Christian or have never been introduced to the freedom found in God, this podcast is for you. While the Bible might seem complicated, God's message is rather simple. Every week, you can expect Brit to take God's Word and break it down into something we can all better understand. Now here's your host, Brit. All right, here we go. We are picking up in Acts chapter 3 today, and here's what it says. Starting in verse 1, it says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now... A man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, I recorded a video actually specifically for this verse this week because I almost missed the lesson in verse two. I'm going to repeat it one more time. It says, now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. So the thing I struggle most with about this specific verse is that people were carrying him to beg. And and I bet this beggar was actually probably thanking the people that were carrying him to beg. I mean, imagine for a second that you were paralyzed and and your friend said, you know what, man, it, let's let's just we'll we'll carry you every day. We will get you there. Now, if you're the person that's paralyzed, your first response might be, ah, oh, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate the help getting there. Right. Like that's what if I had to guess, this beggar is thinking. And so I don't know if these were his friends. I don't know if this was his family. I don't know if he didn't even know Joe Schmo that was carrying him to beg. But what I do know is that I bet from the beggar's perspective, he was thankful that the people were carrying him to leave him there to beg. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I think for many of us, if we're honest, this is also our experience with someone or something. And I don't know what that someone or something is for you, but I bet you can identify one area in your life, if you really get honest, that you're looking at it and saying, wow, thank you for bringing me here. But instead of actually leaving you better, they're leaving you begging and they're leaving you wanting more and they're leaving you unfulfilled and they're leaving you hopeless. And and the reason I'm like, ah, I'm just trying to convey this message so clearly is because we've got to identify those people or those things in our lives that aren't beneficial, but that leave us begging. Because the truth of the matter is the only thing that can fill that void is God. The only thing that can do that healing work is God. But what I think we do so often is we give credit to people that have actually left us stranded and we forget to just ask the savior for healing. 
it's like we don't actually think he would move. And so we're comfortable in our circumstances. So we trust the people that leave us begging instead of recognizing that there is a better way. And I I don't know, again, what that is, whether that's someone or something in your life. But if I could just, if you get nothing else from this podcast today, can I just encourage you to look at your life and look at the people that surround you and look at the things you do for fun and, and your job and whatever it is and ask yourself the question, are they leaving me begging? And if they are, what is it that is holding you back from asking God to heal that circumstance. Verse three goes on to say, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as John did. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but I think there's something so important with Peter's look at us statement, because it's important that we see people. And I think if we're honest, if we were in the situation of Peter and John, because they didn't have money to give this guy, we would have said one of two things. Number one, we wouldn't have said anything. and We would have put our head down. Or number two, we'd been like, I have nothing to give you. Okay. But the fact that Peter says, hey, look at me. It signifies this response of, I want to see you. And I think what happens so often is when we feel like we have nothing to give others, we walk by them. Maybe not physically, but spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we just pass by them because we feel like we don't have anything to give. But what I'm learning, even in my own life, is sometimes it's not necessarily about what I have to give. It's just about seeing the person for the pain that they're in. And I want to say this one more time because we have to start seeing people for the pain that they're in. We have to start asking hard questions and looking for answers and, and deciding that people are worth investing in because there's something so real in us that wants to preserve when, when we're tired, when we're weary, when we're burnt out, we want to preserve the little bit of energy that we do have left. But what I found is when I stop and see others, when I stop and learn, when I stop and care, then I am in return invigorated and I have more energy than I did before. So it's a weird, it's weird kingdom economics that Jesus does. But the scripture goes on to say, then Peter said, silver or gold, I don't got that. But what I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly this man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Okay, I know we just, that was like a big chunk in two verses, but Let's break this down a little bit because, again, Peter doesn't have silver or gold. He's like, bro, like silver, gold, I ain't got all that. But what I do have, I'm going to give you something else. I'm going to give you healing. In fact, not just healing, but I'm going to give you the power to walk so you're not put in this position again. And what's so interesting about this moment is um, Peter had watched Jesus do this many times before as they're traveling, as he's learning, he sees Jesus do this very thing where he calls people to their feet. But what's so interesting is um, there's a story in John chapter five of this man at the healing pool. And when Jesus approaches him, he says, hey, do you want to get well? And it's almost as if in that moment, the guy comes back with some rebuttals, but healing had never crossed his mind. 
you know, he had gotten so used to his circumstances that healing really wasn't even an option. And I would say the same goes for the man we're reading about in Acts chapter three, that healing hadn't crossed his mind. He had gotten so used to begging, so used to feeling helpless, so used to feeling hopeless that healing from the situation, physical healing had never even crossed his mind. And this was actually one of the very first lessons I learned at counseling years ago because I had gone there um, specifically to kind of unpack my parents' divorce. I didn't recognize that some of it had um, followed me into my adult age. And so I went there to unpack it. And she asked me in our first or second session, she said, you know, I have a question. Do you want to be healed from this? You know, you're struggling with a lot of abandonment and fear of things working and not working. And so my question for you is, do you want to be healed from that? Or do you want to carry that with you? So that way you always have an excuse. And it was the most like abrupt and aggressive question, but it was so true because we kind of like the things that keep us paralyzed because it gives us an excuse to act in ways that are not necessarily healthy or, um, the wise move to make, but we have an excuse to cling to. And it was the first moment that I was like, man, like, what would it look like to be healed from this? And the reason I say that is for whoever's listening to this, wherever you are, whatever you're walking through, like healing really is available. You don't have to relive the same thing over and over and over and over again. Like there is power in the name of Jesus, but there is also healing available through him. And he doesn't want to leave you begging. He wants you to walk away healed. Scripture goes on to say, he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And I love the imagery that we get from this verse because this man is healed and immediately he jumps to his feet and he starts jumping and praising God. And what would it look like if we actually started to adapt that response into our own lives? Like, can we be honest? When we're set free from something, our response is rarely joy and jumping, but often it's this shame of carrying forward. You know, we regret our past and so we feel so heavy and I don't deserve this and how could God be this kind to me and all of these things. And we don't actually experience the joy found in Jesus because we're so worried about the past that might come with us. But this man isn't worried about where he was. He simply just enthused with the fact that he can walk and that he's been healed. And his willingness to praise and to to celebrate and to live this out in joy, it's actually that that, that draws people to Christ. It's not this somber, deep um, reverence of, oh, I just don't deserve this. It's, it's his joy that draws people. And I know for me, this is something that I'm I'm really learning in my own life. I feel like God is just doing a brand new work inside of me of breaking down what I thought God would use to transform lives. And um, I oversee a few student ministries um, here in the area. And what I found is that power of transformation doesn't necessarily lie in worship music and these deep, heavy conversations. It lies in 
handing over the aux cord and letting them play uh, some music that they want to play. It lies in good conversations, life-giving conversations, encouragement. Like that's where transformation lies. And this is hard for even me to get a hold of because if I'm really honest, I kind of like my rules. I like my check boxes. I like this idea that Jesus is black and white. But what I'm learning is that there's so much gray area and it's our joy that attracts people to Jesus. It's not it's not the aggression, it's not the anger, it's it's none of that. It's simply joy and enthusiasm that draw others to Jesus. And so that's why I love this piece so much because this man is healed and so he goes about praising and jumping and, and worshiping God and it's that moment that other people are in amazement and wonder at what God has done. And so my question for us today is if God has set you free from something, what is your response? Is it shameful? Is it heavy? Is it trying to hide everything? Or is it life-giving? Is it joyful? Is it transformational? Because if it's not, can I just ask you, what is stopping you from experiencing joy? If you really are a new creation, if Christ has really set you free, then what is it that's holding you back? Because I believe that's the enemy's tactic. Like the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy. And and when I say destroy, I'm not just talking about people. I'm talking about joy. Like that's his aim. He's like, if I can suck the joy out of you, then people won't want to come to Jesus. And so my question for us today is for the areas in our lives that we've been healed, for the things that God has given us the ability to walk in freedom through. What is your response? Verse number 11. It says, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if our own power or godliness has made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate. Though you had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and the righteous, one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. I know I just kind of splurted out a lot, but I just want to pull out a few um a few key points because I think this idea of why does this surprise you um, is so powerful for us to recognize. And this week I've been wrestling a lot with my prayer life and just what does that look like? What does devotion time look like? And why does it surprise us when God moves? Like what is it in us that's like expects God not to move? And I was looking at my prayer request. This is how this thought came into mind. I was looking at all the prayers I pray and I'm like, I legitimately have control over all of these things, or at least I think I do. And and so there's this risk, there's this tension in my spirit that is almost scared to pray for things that are out of my reach. And I can just hear Jesus be like, why does it surprise you when we move? Like, we literally have all power, we're all knowing, we're omnipresent, and we're for you. Why are you so surprised when we move? I think if we're honest, it's because we don't expect them to move. We might say we do, but I think if we're honest deep down, there's always some hesitation and some doubt and some fear that what if they don't? And friend, can I just challenge you today? What if they do? (laughs) You know, like what if God really does move? And the truth is, if we don't ask, then the answer is no. And so we really have nothing to lose by asking God to move in really big ways. And so 
the challenge I have for us is why does it surprise us when God comes through? What does that say about our own hearts towards God? Picking up in verse 16, it says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. You guys, can I just say very clearly, you don't have healing power. And you don't have saving power and, and you, you got no power. Like ain't nothing in you got the power. You are not the Energizer Bunny, but Jesus does. And this is really important for us to know as we live out our lives, as we walk through um, our faith journey and whatever that looks like, it's really important to know that you have really no power. Jesus has all the power and he lives inside of you. So you have access to that power, but you can't save people. You can't like you, you don't have that power. And so the reason I say this and we talk about this in the video from last week is it goes the same with judgment. Like you got no judgment power either. And so let's focus on the things that we can control. Let's let's pour into the places that we can and trust that Jesus will move on our behalf. And so I just want to tell you the pressure is off like. You don't have to save nobody. You don't have to do anything. Literally, all you have to do is live your life um, from a place of joy, honoring and glorifying Jesus. And I promise you, you will see the fruits of that. All right. Picking up 17. It says, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing have come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who is appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up you, a prophet like me, from among your own people and you must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Verse 24 says, indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold of these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made through your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So to close out today's episode, I just want to hit on one last verse um, that is found in that piece, and it's verse 19 that says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may fall upon you or may come from the Lord. And so I think that when we hear this word repentance, there's something like anxious that creeps up inside of us. We're like, <gasps> I don't want to do it. But repenting legitimately just means turning from one way and going another. And the way I think about this all the time is if you put in a GPS, right, and you get off course, it says rerouting, 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 rerouting. And until you listen to the reroute, it's going to tell you to keep rerouting over and over and over again until you're back on track. That's exactly what repentance is. Repentance is simply Jesus saying, hey, this is not the way. Hey, this is not the way. This is not the way. And you can feel it in your spirit. You know, that's why we have those convictions. Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, I think you can agree that there's something in you that you know when you're doing something wrong. So you got to trust that. You got to listen to that. And so when he says repent and turn from your ways, breathe a little bit. Literally all that means is, hey, you're kind of headed in the wrong direction. You want to reroute? And when he says that, we've got a choice. Yes or no, left or right. Which way do you want to choose? 
But one thing you can be sure of is if you do choose the wrong way, he'll reroute you over and over and over again until you get back on track. So stay the course. Trust that God is moving in your life and I promise his plans for your life are good. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I'll see you guys back here next week. Have a great day.